0: Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, may I start the proceedings of this uh, very exciting one-day conference. My name is George Gaskell, I'm a pro-director here and I'm also a social psychologist. So it's a real pleasure to see this meeting taking place. A very, well, very warm welcome in particular to guests uh, of the LSE. We uh, appreciate the, your commitment to uh, coming along to this meeting. So this one-day conference organized by my dear colleague, Dr. Professor Sandra joff launches the school's research on the model of work of the kids' company and the wider and exceptionally pressing issue of vulnerable children. We have in the uh, program for the conference a cast of distinguished speakers and contributors, Frank Field, Labour's Poverty Star, Sharon Hodgson, the Shadow Minister for Education, the Chief Executive of the Youth Justice Board, Lynn Hinnington; and Camille batman gelicha the uh, Chief Executive Officer of Kids' Company. You, the audience, bring both depth and breadth to the proceedings. We have representatives of the world of policy, of local government, practitioners, artists, researchers, counselors, academics, social entrepreneurs and some of our research students. I noticed last evening that the event was prominently featured in the Evening Standard and the Guardian is on hand today. So this conference is at the center of the school's mission for public engagement, for understanding the causes of things and for producing first-class research that informs the wider debates and the betterment of society. It's a good example of what societal psychology can bring to the debates. So uh, welcome, I hope it's an absolutely splendid day and may I invite Theresa Whitney who is just going to cover some of the housekeeping details before the conference begins. Teresa, where are you? There.
1: Hello. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'd like to first uh, make sure that all of you know to keep your badges visible, um, either on your person or on your packet, as you will need them to get back into the building if you decide to leave at any point. Um, I'd also like to bring your attention to where our emergency exits are. We have two at the front and two at the back. And please don't take the lifts in the case of emergency. Um, And our rendezvous point in case of a fire is Lincoln Inn's Fields, Um, not the Main Street exit, but the exit that goes towards um, the park on the side. Um, If you need a loo at any point, you can just exit to the back and ask any steward. Um, These are LSC uh, stewards that have the red shirts on and they can direct you. Uh, Please look after your belongings Um, and really important, uh, please either turn your cell phones to airplane mode uh, and silent or switch them off because they interfere with the recording because we would like to have uh, a really good audible recording uh, for later. Uh, there will be tea and coffee and lunch uh, outside of the theater in the corridor. Um, and we'd also like to invite you to tweet about this event. Um, the hashtag is down here at the bottom. It's LSE Kids Co. So please uh, feel free to hashtag as much as possible. Thank you. Um, and now I'd like to invite Camilla um, Batmanjelic to the front. And I'd just like to ask uh, as a courtesy, please no flash photography while Camilla is speaking. Thank you.
2: Thank you very,
3: very much. Uh, It's an absolute honor to be here, and I'm very grateful uh, to the LSE and all the academics who facilitated today. Kids' company has been incredibly lucky because we've had some extraordinary minds outside our organization coming in to help us identify the difficulties our children are enduring and to generate potentially a new clinical model a way of understanding children who have multiple exposures to adversity so that ultimately we can better help these children. Even though this conference is generated as a result of the partnership between LSE, UCL, uh, Kids' Company, the Tavistock Clinic, and everyone else who's contributing to it, I think it's very important for us all to realize that Kids' Company hopes to be catalytic on behalf of lots of other equally brilliant organizations who haven't necessarily had a powerful enough voice because they haven't had the resources to be able to galvanize the kind of support that we have managed to generate as a result of the kindness of other people. We absolutely recognize that our colleagues are working in the inner cities, in rural areas, with children who present with complex and diverse vulnerabilities and that these people are doing incredibly hard work against the climate where there hasn't always been the recognition that work with children who are profoundly traumatized takes time and takes actually emotional investment the word that I hope will have the courage to utter all of today the word love The other thing that's been very important for Kids' Company throughout its evolution is the recognition that everything we have learned, the 600 staff, the 11,000 volunteers who contribute to this organization, is absolutely and totally as a result of what the children and young people we work with have taught us over the years we've had the privilege of being able to listen to the wisdom of children who ultimately knew what was the best way to help them. And I think what we just did was have the humility to take on board their knowledge and to translate it into a discourse that could be shared with others. It's taken me 17 years to get us to this point It's been 17 tough years, because we haven't had funding. 17 years later, we still don't have one pence of local authority funding for our social care and child mental health delivery, because our children are self-referring. And in this advanced country, there is still not a financial model that recognizes self-referring children as having the legitimacy to command finances. We are also in a country where unfortunately children who are profoundly traumatized are also demonized. The public often perceive themselves as being persecuted by these kids whereas what needs to happen is that we need to collectively take responsibility for protecting these children because ultimately The contract of childhood is one in which adults are supposed to pledge care and deliver care to children who turn to us for support and care. Unfortunately the contract of care has universally been broken in this country in relation to children for whom we've had limited understanding and whose disturbance we've perceived as moral flaw as opposed to an incapacity to regulate emotion and energy. So at the end of today, what I hope we will be able to gather together is an accumulatively enhanced and improved understanding of what these children are going through and that we leave this room with a sense of commitment and respect to these kids and an acknowledgement of their extraordinary courage for actually being so patient with us when we were getting it wrong and so forgiving when we were so profoundly criticizing them when we had no right to deliver that criticism to those kids because the criticism was actually owed to us for failing to deliver the kind of structures of safety that these kids deserve. So in this context and in the spirit of honoring the thousands of children that over the 17 years we've had the privilege of working with and learning from I'd like to introduce to you an extraordinary young person who in her entire survival of childhood and in her absolute achievement represents the very best of what we've seen in our young people. Dawn Howley has been at Kids' Company and she has helped us understand better how to help her and her peers. But also she has had the extraordinary courage to speak of her own challenges and in the process represent the other children and young people who are not yet in a space where they can share their life experiences Or where they can actually represent themselves and their peers so it's with an absolute sense of respect that I want to invite Dawn on stage and to uh, allow her to speak for herself representing the 36,000 children young people and vulnerable adults who remain reliant on kids company and from whom we have really drawn inspiration it's all yours, darling.
4: Good morning, everybody. Um, so, I'm going to speak for a few minutes about the support that I've been given by Kids Company. Um, and I'm also speaking on behalf of the young people at Kids Company but maybe in some way for some young people that haven't managed to find help yet. The thing I want you to take away from today is that the key working model at Kids Co. is really where it's at and the real belief that even the most challenging life on paper can be turned around. And it's this hope that we need to hold on to. Um, me being able to get my life on track doesn't just have an impact on myself. <coughs> and This is one of the things that you can't measure because it has an impact on my siblings, my nephews, my niece. I'm able to help support them in a much more positive way. Um, I went into care as a child due to domestic violence and parental alcoholism. I moved around a lot um, before and in care, different schools, different houses. Nothing was really solid or very stable. Um, One of the kids' homes I was in was full of lots of other kids like me, and it was more chaos and more violence. When I first went in, I was going to school, but that lasted about two weeks, and I left school in year 10. It was easier to survive by joining in with the chaos, running away, drinking, doing drugs. Of course, they say it was easier with hindsight. At the time, I'd just lost a family life, however messed up, and I wanted to fit in with whatever the new life was, however scary and confusing. And so we're here today to talk about why love matters for vulnerable children. And the fact that we need to be discussing this is quite sad, but it's necessary and it's urgent because I think that the most vital thing, love and care, is often the thing that's overlooked when we try to figure out what we do with vulnerable kids rather than how to care for them. I think that on the one hand we can empathise with the cute seven or eight-year-old kid that we are told is being neglected or abused. But a few years later what we decide is that that same kid is now solely responsible for their own fate and that they're morally flawed. Yes, bad behaviour is wrong and it's never acceptable, but we need to have a conversation with young people that can offer reason and the potential for change without excusing things. And I think that's the problem in some sections of society. The minute you try and offer an explanation, people get terrified and think that you're excusing it. We need to remember that reason and excuse are two very different things. I remember Camilla explaining the brain research and these ideas of always being on the alert, not being able to calm down. And it was pretty strange but good to hear a language that had the potential for change in it. If you just tell someone they are bad, particularly when they've been treated bad for their whole life, you're not offering much in the way of understanding or change. Long-term therapies always encouraged at Kids' Company alongside solving the short-term problems like where do you live and how do you eat. And it's these two things together that are really important for long-term happiness and recovery. What you have to understand is that a lot of kids homes, mental health facilities and secure units often just contain people until the crisis has passed even if they don't want to just contain. Children and young people do have the capacity to take this stuff on board and they welcome it. It's helped me to understand a lot of things and take responsibility for the way I feel and how it affects me and I've seen the same of countless other young people at kids company So however tough you see people on the street, if you get someone that cares for them, that sits down with them and explains things to them, most people don't want to have a bad life if you give them the option for something else. An example is being so used to being hungry, and anyone here that might not have had breakfast and you feel a bit wound up, you'll know that that's because you've not eaten. But for lots of kids and young people, they don't recognize these feelings, and that's A result of not being cared for and when you don't have someone there to do the most basic thing like feed you regularly it's pretty hard to make sense of your emotions and through the key worker model at KidsCo children can be helped with the things that they've missed by simple what might seem simple things like eating lunch and dinner at a table in a bright safe space that's um, brightly decorated and it's through these little things that you learn how to react appropriately and you know the GCSEs and everything else that all comes after you need the basics to have the foundation Um, it's about making you realize that your early life experiences however disturbing are over but you have to be able to understand things in order to leave them behind once you give people that alternative to a chaotic and violent past People grab it, but you need the proper support there. Going back to the care system for a minute, the way that some kids are moved around, often without notice, they're stuffed in black bags with decisions that are often based on funding. The only message you're sending to those kids is that they don't really matter too much. And all that happens when you treat a person like that is that they hold on to the experiences that they left behind and gain a whole new lot of negative experiences And then in some cases, age 16 or 18, you can be thrust out onto the street and expected to survive. Is it any wonder that care leavers are overrepresented in our homeless and prison populations? I think that most social workers would love to be able to use instinct rather than worrying about funding when they were making decisions about the future of young people. The thing is when you are in and leaving care it is actually a bit of a lottery as to what happens and I don't think that that is really fair. And I like that at kids company people aren't ejected because of age or because of something that they have done wrong and I think that that is what happens in most families. Um, I don't really know that many of my friends where their parents have had a sit down meeting and decided that age 16 or 18 because they legally are an adult. Um, that they won't support them anymore. Um, Okay, one minute, sorry. Um, So yeah, it's just basically saying that I think parents keep supporting their kids until they're okay and that the doors always open in a family. Um, I've been helped through quite a difficult period. I coped okay when I first left care and I think for some years I was just in survival or getting by mode but that only works for a certain amount of time. I had a place to study here at LSE five years ago, but a month before that I became unwell with perhaps another legacy from childhood, bipolar disorder, and I was sectioned for my own safety. I couldn't take up my place to study, and obviously I was really upset by this. Um, when I was in the hospital, I was just told to take my medication, and it wasn't really acknowledged about what I'd lost. Camilla came to see me on the ward um, with lots of bags and fruit, lots of bags of fruits and just said, when you're better, you will be able to go. She saw the person beyond beyond the symptoms and the section and it was important for me to hold on to that hope. I think that most kids who have missed out on care do want a feeling of being cared for. They want to matter to someone, and I think we all do. They want to feel safe. I think the kids' company model shows that you can provide services based on the family. It just looks a bit different. And I'm really pleased that kids can have a space where they can self-refer and get access to this. I think the first step in helping any vulnerable child is to give them experiences of being listened to, being cared for while you steer them away from the past. The main thing at Kids' Company is that the centres are safe and when you have constant threats at home, in school or just walking home, like many of our kids do, you need something in your neighbourhood that you can go and get a meal, feel safe and then what happens is that as you trust you can start to make sense of things. One thing you hear a lot at Kids' Company is how are you, how are you feeling? And these might seem quite simple things But for the most vulnerable, these concerns are just not high enough priority. I think that love and warmth are just things that happen in most families. You can't legislate or make guidance for it. And I think it's really what we all want to feel in life. And it is possible to recreate it. If you don't believe, for example, that a young person can get these experiences from a key worker or from something other than the family, then you're writing them off even more. I started my master's in social policy and planning here two years ago and found it pretty daunting um, what I realized because I was in touch with my emotions even more is that everyone else was nervous too and everyone else was probably having a moment in the toilet before but maybe their confidence came from being told more consistently throughout their lives that they could do things and they could achieve and when I graduate later this year um, It's better than if I'd have taken up the place when I wasn't very well because now I'm more together and it means more. And I feel proud that maybe at one point when I left school in year 10 with no GCSEs or A-levels that I might have been written off in some ways. But I hope now that I've made up for it, things just take a bit longer for some people. Um, And I just want to finish by saying that I don't think, you, you can't ever forget a traumatic and violent past. It always slips into your mind, and sometimes it can break you in one way or another. But it is possible to make sense of those memories and replace them with good and new ones, and allow you to make a new life and leave the past behind. But I think the thing that we have to remember is that emotional well-being is the most important foundation, and it's taken me some time to realize that. And I think if you give that to people, then all the other stuff follows it. So, thank you on behalf of all the kids and young people for listening.
3: Dawn, I think LSC is very lucky to have had you. Uh, And now I hand over to the genius behind all this, Sandra.
5: Well, uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you to all for uh, being here. Thank you in particular to our partners and speakers who found time to be with us. It's difficult to talk after listening to Dawn. uh, But what I'm very delighted uh, to do is to speak about The language of Kids Company and the research uh, we conducted about their model of work. Before I do that, I would like to uh, thank my co workers here at the LSE Steve Bennett, Steve Gaskell, Jacqueline Crane, uh, Jacqueline Prego Hernandez, Jane Roberts, Roberts, our team of researchers, volunteers. Department of Social Psychology, everyone who helped and contributed to make this day happen, especially my co-author, Natalia Concha, who has been actually responsible for uh, everything that is running well in this meeting. How can I uh, tell you the story of our research? Uh, I first met Camilla in 2007 when she came to the LSC to discuss how we could work together and involve our students with the work of the charity. We kept in touch over the years, and last November she came again to the school to participate in an international seminar about research we had conducted in the favelas of Rio in Brazil. We were struck by many points of contact we found between the favelas and the areas uh, where Kids' Company works. The reality of children in the favelas and the areas uh, where Kids' Company is working is not that different, in fact, and the lessons we learn in Rio were also not too far away from what Kids' Company was implementing in London. Out of the experiences of work with vulnerable children, we found a simple but profound, beautiful message. Children, no matter how adverse the environment, children can be protected by unconditional and unrelenting love. Holding and listening, containing and never giving them up are practical solutions to children to all children, but all the more for those children who never experienced a stable and loving home. This is something every psychologist working in the field knows well. Positive attachment and supportive human communication are the basis of health development for individuals and for societies. Find a way of offering neglected children the experience of love and they will respond because love remains foundational for what we humans are. And to study this language of love that Kids' Company makes available to some of the most vulnerable children and young people in the UK became the focus of our study and the partnership that organised this conference today. Uh, Our research systematized the work of Kids' Company and pulled together a unique body of evidence about the experience of its staff and volunteers as they reach out and engage children and young people in need. It. it produces an outline of the principles, forms of deliver, delivery, And interfaces established by Kids Company, allowing us to understand what makes them unique and what makes them effective in meeting the needs of their clients. Our research adopted a multi method, psychosocial, and ethnographic approach, combining two methodological strands one quantitative, including an online survey with staff and volunteers and one qualitative, including focus groups, individual interviews, and observations conducted throughout the different sites of Kids' Company. We interviewed and observed staff at all levels and positions, totalizing more than 100 hours of observations and field-related activities. The first step of our research was to integrate evidence on the client's work and impact of Kids' Company. We reviewed the problem of developmental adversity and its biological and psychosocial consequences. And the evidence we found emphasizes very strongly the importance and role of social policy and early psychosocial intervention for building healthy pathways of development. Kids' Company's clients encounter severe adversity and social exclusion on a daily basis. They are exposed to violence and crime at home and the community. They are exposed to poverty in its different forms including income and food poverty. They experience emotional and behavioral dysregulation and they face the difficulties linked to educational and employment Adversity. These traumatic experiences shape their neurological, psychological, and social development, and we'll hear more about these issues later today uh, when we uh, listen to colleagues from UCL. This impact uh, is severe and it spans not only on the biology. Of the human body, from the biology of the human body, but also to the psychology of persons and importantly uh, to the integration of communities and larger public spheres. How to counteract the situation? This is what Kids Company works for. What is their model of work? Our research found that the model of work of Kids Company establishes interfaces at three levels. First and foremost the children, their families and their immediate environment but also the statutory sector and the wider British public sphere. The charity stands at the crossroads between vulnerable children and youth and the procedures, services and institutional framework of British society it is not an easy place to be at they act towards the children and their context by constructing a secure relational framework and crafting an environment of supportive containment and guidance towards society They act by enabling the children to understand the rules and regulations of the wider public sphere and to cross the boundaries of exclusion, gaining access to resources and services, such such as education, health, and housing. In this sense, Kids' Company acts as a mediator, facilitating communication between the interfaces sustained with clients, their social environment, in the statutory sector. They work as brokers, as translators, and importantly, as advocates, raising awareness about the conditions of invisible populations and demanding from authorities and statutory agencies that the needs of vulnerable children and young people are met. Our research found six main principles underlying this general model of work. The first one perhaps the most important one flexibility no other system of care operates with this principle in such a way as kids company does they are flexible organization they are situation led and always adjust themselves to the needs of the child this flexibility means that the child always comes first it doesn't matter if they don't come back if they don't make for appointments Children are at the center of the delivery and they are flexible and are able to accommodate that. At the same time, staff can be creative because of this flexibility, can be proactive, adopting a doer's attitude. That's what we found inside Kids' Company. Everyone thinks, let's make it happen. Second important principle of the charity, parenting by proxy. They act as parents. This is a key principle of the model that is expressed in building relationships through love, touch, and trust. They hold the children by being authentic and real, seeing past bad behavior, and being unafraid of using a language of emotions and, importantly, bringing back to the care professions, the discourse and the practice of love. This is every day there in the work of the charity. Third dimension, third principle that is very important, rewriting the self. This is something that is very important because, and we just heard Dawn telling us about her experience, this helps children to redefine how they see themselves. And their life trajectories how they can build rebuild self-esteem and how especially importantly how can they desire a positive future this is done through boundary crafting which is another important uh, dimension of the work seen as a pillar of what they do by all staff Boundaries enable children to engage in healthy social exchange and to understand the rules of social life that many times have escaped them. It gives children structure out of sometimes chaotic environments and the understanding of reciprocity, of relational engagement so that they can help the confidence and the skills required to cross into different environments, to cross into a different environment self-understanding and engagement with society. Another very important principle, commitment and continuity. Time is needed to build trust and it is intrinsic to this model of care. There it is the assumption of not giving up the child, of sustaining care over time, despite missed appointments and challenging behaviour. Here, perseverance and persistence are very crucial because they enable attachment and they dispel the client's fear of abandonment. To the vulnerable child, it conveys a profound and necessary psychological message of continuity and of holding. Finally, making the invisible visible. The situation of vulnerable children continues to be largely invisible in the UK public sphere. Staff at Kids' Company are highly aware that central to the work they do is to make visible the plight of vulnerable children and contribute to the overall awareness of British society about the conditions of living of its excluded youth. This is done through wide partnerships across sectors, which include public services and government, the private sector, local communities, academia, and research centers, and of course, the media. Now, these principles of the model are embedded in services which are delivered through specific practices and interfaces. The components of this delivery include First of all, tailoring. This is very important for this model of care. It goes with flexibility. Kids company has an understanding of the need to constantly tailor their delivery, to adjust, to adapt what they do to the needs of individual clients. This is expressed, for instance, in the interactive delivery of therapy where service provision includes a range of therapies which are tailored for the needs of the child. What is important here is that the rules are flexible and responsive to the situation of children. Staff will will adapt different styles of therapy depending what is effective for the individual child. They are able to do so because they work in a truly multidisciplinary environment and they draw on evidence they draw on cutting edge research all the services they the, develop around a very strong dialogue between different people that will eventually provide a pool of internal resources across centers and programs this is called at kids company the salad bar so that different resources are offered to compose the ideal plate of care adapted tailored to the needs of every individual child and finally the interface with the statutory sector and parents and families this is a very important interface in the delivery they are crucial for the work of charity and the ones that not accidentally present the main challenges faced by kids company all these principles and the strategies of delivery come together uh, in keyworking, which is set the central routine of care uh, in the delivery uh, of Kids Company, keyworking comprises all the principles of the model and offers a very comprehensive example of the work of the charity. Keyworking starts with helping the child with their basic socioeconomic needs, food, housing. Benefits, helping with the legal system, helping with filling a form. It's a very basic, a very practical start. But it continues by supporting communication and helping the child to manage relations with the immediate environment and the wider society. So at the same time, the key worker is building trust and relational engagement with the client allowing the experience that someone is there someone is real someone can be relied upon someone is there for the child key working in the sense comprises addressing practical and emotional needs developing a very nurturing stable committed relationship that is unconditionally supportive I want to emphasize the word unconditional because the word unconditional comes with the practice of love by helping children practically key working lays foundations for deeper emotional engagement that empowers children to reconstruct self-esteem and develop trust towards adults and the wider institutions of the public sphere so so that eventually children can move positions from being victims to becoming heroes from being perpetrators to become survivors now what makes this model unique and what makes it effective first exceptionally high levels of staff morale and education Staff motivation and commitment are very high at Kids Company and a central component of the organization's efficacy. There are very high levels of pride at work, with 97% of staff and volunteers feeling proud of their achievements. As we can see in the graph, working at Kids Company is a stimulating and exciting, with 94% of staff and volunteers agreeing or strongly agreeing that their job is rarely dull or boring. Job dynamics coexist with very high levels of pride in the work being done, with 97% of staff and volunteers agreeing or strongly agreeing that their achievements are a source of pride. In addition, his staff feel confident about their skills and see themselves as competent workers who know how to perform their jobs with 96% of his staff and volunteers agreeing or strongly agreeing that they are doing a good job. Now many organizations would kill for these results and kids company has you know. another very important dimension of their effectiveness is the fact that the staff is participatory, staff participates and the staff is proactive, They've 92% of staff and volunteers agree or strongly agree that they have the opportunity to use their skills and initiative in the work they do they also feel that they contribute to the success to the success of the organization with 95% of responding respondents is stating that they agree strongly agree that their participation is valuable now these results are corroborated by statements from the open ended comments included in our questionnaire and the qualitative interviews and group discussions which revealed that working for Kids Company is considered an integral life experience where professional and personal motivations come together. So this is the first dimension of that explains what makes this model unique and effective. The second, what makes the model, the, the second dimension that makes the, this model so effective and unique, are the widespread. structures of support implemented internally and externally for the children and staff alike here is an interesting point of debate for us later today about the differences between the third sector and the statutory sector what's going on in the culture in the institutional culture of uh, the care professions for instance there are structures of care inside kids company that operate for the children and for staff alike we call this in our research this widespread structures of support chains of scaffolding and they are a central finding of our research and of the model uh, of work of kids company now chains of scaffolding working at, at kids company is obviously challenging There are limited resources and dealing with developmental adversity on a daily basis involves considerable stress. The work is rewarding but it can also be stressful and upsetting. The commitment, persistence and education of staff which are exceptionally high obviously do not come down from the sky there are structures and actions of support that create an internal environment that motivates and empowers staff that fundamentally looks after staff so that the staff can look after vulnerable children and families this scaffolding occurs through multiple formal and informal activities delivered by different interactive structures that include management peer and group based and one-to-one support from supervision to informal communication on a daily basis to managerial structures all of this enables this collective intelligence to develop emotional and social support to be widespread there is cohesion and a sense of community inside kids company When we work there we could observe that very clearly it's fun to work at kids company people are obviously having a good time there you know it's uh, something that is fun to go into their sites uh, despite the adversity they are facing they are not miserable they are happy people and they pass this on to the child so this positive future features of the environment are beneficial for staff and importantly they are benefic- beneficial for the children who come into kids company and are able to experience there what they do not experience elsewhere emotional and social support group cohesion A positive social identity a strong sense of community so this social capital based on high levels of cohesion and staff morale and the presence and this is important to say because it's a key finding of our research the presence of an exceptional leader whose trademarks are charisma total dedication capacity to hold contain and support are important assets utilized to nurture the internal working environment of the charity and to provide a positive model for the children so this model works because it's delivered by people who have a strong vocation are deeply motivated and share the vision and the aims of the organization Uh, so There are, of course, many challenges to implementing such a model. Uh, The most important ones being the interface with the statutory sector and limited and unstable funding, which is a major source of stress and anxiety for staff and a massive challenge for the sustainability of kids' company. This is something that everyone needs to think about. So the key conclusions arising from our study are Kids' Company is a charity that works directly on the effects of developmental adversity, which, let's not forget, is a major threat to the future of healthy societies and cohesive public spheres. Kids' Company combines flexibility and high levels of staff commitment and satisfaction to enable absolute focus on the needs of vulnerable children it offers to the child the knowledge that someone cares loves and will not give them up irrespective of any challenging and unstable response that may come back from the child collaborations between kids company and the statutory sector involve substantial challenges addressing these challenges is imperative for supporting ch- children and young people in need kids company works As a border crosser and mediator between disadvantaged invisible children and the wider public sphere they do a great deal however much work remains to be done to raise the visibility of vulnerable children and support the work of the charity in the UK and international our research found that the model of work of Kids Company achieves much for some of the most vulnerable and invisible populations of in the UK. Its commitment and open-door policy have guaranteed provision and support for thousands of children who are denied basic services and rights, but much remains to be done. Kids Company requires support from society and from the state to continue developing the excellence of its overall model of care. Let us not forget that more than one in four children live in poverty in the UK today. I very much hope that our conference will emphasize the urgency of their situation, as well as the lessons that can be learned from those who are working so hard and so effectively to support them. Thank you very much. Just before I pass on the word to Theresa, many of you came and asked me about the slides. And I know it was not very easy to see at the back of the theater. I apologize for the bad quality of the projection. The full report of our research is available at LSE Research Online. This is the address. But if you don't have the address, if you go to the website, LSE Research Online, if you type my name, you're going to find the full report for download. You also find many of you asked about the study on the favelas of Rio. It's also there available for download. So you just have to go into LSE Research Online and you're going to find all of this. And we are going to put up the slides in our website between today and next Monday so people can find the slides as well. Okay, no, it's
1: Okay. so we would like to kick off with our uh, roundtable discussion on working with vulnerable children and I would like to invite the Chair to the podium, uh, Adele Eastman from the Center for Social Justice.
6: Good morning, everyone. I'm absolutely delighted to be able to join you all here today and would like to extend my thanks uh, to Camilla and Kids' Company for that. Um, I'd also like to thank Professor Jov uh, for sharing your incredibly important and valuable findings from your research with us. Now, that's going to form the basis, the focus of our discussion, um, working with vulnerable children during this panel discussion. Now, just to introduce myself very quickly, I'm Adele Eastman. I'm a Center uh, for Social Justice Senior Policy Specialist, and I've actually been uh, based on secondment at Kids' Company for just over a year now, doing some research. in order to write a report, which I'm currently writing now, on vulnerable children, with the focus being on child protection and mental health. Now, our, shockings have been so, our findings sorry, have been so shocking that we actually have decided to delay publication of our report, uh, which will now be due out in January of next year. Now, I feel that that research and research of Professor Jov and other research that's going to be discussed today is incredibly timely given that we're in the wake of yet another serious case review following the tragic death of Daniel Polka and also with child protection having such a high profile uh, and quite rightly so uh, and in the media currently and also where you have campaigns like that of the Evening Standard currently on gangs with headlines These youngsters have lost so many friends, they've stopped going to their funerals. I think that has to be a cause of profound concern for all of us. Now what I'd like to do now is to warmly invite each of the panelists to join me. Um, What I'll then do is ask each of them to introduce themselves before asking for some initial thoughts and comments from them and then opening that up into discussion involving taking questions uh, from, from the floor. So if I could please um, extend a warm invitation uh, first of all to Professor Corin May Chahal to join the panel, (laughs) followed by the Right Honourable Frank Field, MP. And Professor Leon Feinstein please. And also Professor Jov thank you. Um, So having introduced myself, um, it would be lovely for everyone to please hear a brief introduction um, from from each of you. Corin. okay
7: hi uh, i 'm Major Hall, and uh, i 'm from Lancaster University. Um, I uh, first encountered kids company because they very kindly allowed us to start developing our research around social media and safety uh, and children and young people. They are such a brave organization in terms of research, and I, I really respect their openness to, to trying out all sorts of new things and taking risks around research, and I think this report actually um, endorses that in lots of different ways. Um, I I don't suppose that you've invited me down from Lancaster just to say how good I think you all are, (laughs) Uh, and so I will kind of comment on specific aspects. I I was also a co-founder of the College of Social Work, and my background is in Uh, academic research but also in social work and I do remain a registered social worker so I think there are some really important messages in the report relating to that role and and social work in the statutory sector first of all I'm just going to say something about uh, my concerns uh, around what I would term neuromania which a colleague of mine has termed neuromania actually Sue White at Birmingham and and something about evidence and something about having to constantly make the case having to constantly evidence the fact that children are suffering that trauma is important and that we need to attend to it if I had a presentation today the thing I would put up is a picture of the brain on Graham Allen's uh, report uh, next to perhaps the face of Daniel Pelker or Hamza Khan or any one number of the children who are tragically um, killed and um, traumatized by parents, carers and so on. There are a range of issues in child protection and we constantly are trying to get out there the evidence that these things are happening and somehow We've moved. The the advantage of having been in this field for such a long time is that I've kind of got a memory. (laughs) Sometimes it goes, sometimes it... But, you know, I I did a prevalence study over... uh, It was in 1998 that we started collecting the data for that and it was the first national random probability prevalence study, it was you know, gold standard methodology. It found that around 20% of children in this country over the course of their lifetime experienced severe child abuse. That kind of got a couple of uh, bits of coverage in the press and went away again. And if we talk about social impacts, the report says, you know, we should raise awareness about the negative impact of developmental adversity on the brain, the mind and society. I've worked with the World Health Organization trying to establish the costs, the economic costs of child abuse globally. That came out in the World Health Report on violence and abuse, but it didn't really, you know, it's still going on at the same level. And and how much response does it get? Um, A guy called Murray Strauss many, many years ago tried to evidence the the impact on IQ of smacking and corporal punishment and physical child abuse. And showing that it reduced the overall national IQ point by two. Um, And that was sort of another attempt at trying to hit the sort of psyche, the politics of, of society to ask... Do we really want this in our midst? And somehow we're still here today, now with a brain, now with trying to evidence it from the sort of neuro and psychological uh, field. And I, I, it's so important, and I don't want to decry it, but at the same time, I have to ask why? Why do we have to keep evidencing that this matters? Um, and that's just something that I think we need to address so uh, the second point is I really do want to endorse the fact that kids company fills the gaps uh, that are left by the state and its services the question the big challenge is what do we do about that I think there's not a social worker practicing who wouldn't want to feel like those those workers in kids' company who are reported in in Sandra's report. You know, it's a wonderful environment to work in and I suppose the answer would be, can we clone Camilla? (laughs) Can we clone her and put her in every single local authority in the country? But we can't, you know, and so we have yeah, to.
8: You. <laughs>
7: we can put you up. yeah. But how do we do it? And that is a huge challenge. But I think there are some real, there are some real limits to to, to what can be expected of statutory services. They work within a very intensive resource. Um, a a, a climate that's lacking in resources getting worse and worse and worse but I think the other thing and I've I've worked with this tension a bit with other charities in in my time as a social worker and as an academic I think it is that actually the buck stops there you know one local authority director once said to me we have everything that nobody else will take now I don't think that's entirely true because I think actually kids company take a a, a lot of young people who nobody else will take but there is is an issue about you know who's going to be ending up on the front page of the sun ever since baby P social workers are always readily really conscious of the fact that the buck stops with them and risk is something that is very difficult for them to manage and in kids company there's a culture of flexibility a culture of managing that risk and I think a culture of workers who feel that somebody will be behind them if something goes wrong and and if there is a disaster there there will be an accountability and you know Camilla will be at the front of that and who would dare really who would dare you know put their hands up to Camilla so I think I think you know there's an issue about the organizational culture that we need to change and I love that recommendation that um, there should be more integration more sharing you know co-working and I would encourage local authorities, statutory services to try and take up that offer and to be more open, perhaps, to sharing some of that. But also encourage Kids Company to help with that, um, the management of that kind of risk and accountability and the, the reputation, the negative reputation, sadly, that has now been built up over time and that we are trying really hard to, to, to improve and adjust and, and transform. So help with that transformation would be great. Thank you. Thank you, Corin.
6: Thank you. And um, Frank, if we could have a have a brief introduction from you and any initial comments or thoughts.
9: Can I make a, a, a brief comment on what um, uh, Corin just said? Um, and it's really about how do we, why do we have to keep evidencing the same? Uh, situation, and while there are a thousand Camillas,
8: um,
9: I am I love being English, but there is a side of our character that George Bernard Shaw highlighted. I um, he was Irish, so he disliked us poor English. Uh, he said if the if the English were in, um, promoted from uh, inferno to paradise, they'd still gather around and talk about the good old days and there is something quite deep in our culture that we begrudge people who make big advances and i think uh, camilla is up against that and i'm here because for all the reasons corinne said about um, kids company but also because i've been a member of parliament for 35 years representing practically the same area and my constituency is a wonderful tutorial And over those 35 years, I've noticed the bottom of our society falling out. Um, And while, of course, we've had reference today to these extreme cases where people, children are murdered, I think an even bigger evil is the extent of neglect.
8: Mm
9: -hmm. Um, And partly because talking to young people in Birkenhead who say they want to be good parents, and yet increasing numbers fail to be, Um, When I was doing a report for the Prime Minister which was around the theme, um, the foundation years, the key years of a person's life, uh, trying to prevent poor children from becoming poor adults, there were two pieces of information which influenced what we wrote. One was the talk with, with reception teachers who said that they can tell in a very, very short space of time of their new intake each year who's going to be head girl. Uh, who's going to have a job, who's going to find it very difficult to get a job, who's going to fly, who's going to sink. And then I came across Leon's work which took one of our great cohort studies um, and suggested that uh, perhaps at around uh, two and a half, three, but even more probably at 5, we can predict where most children will end up in life. And therefore there was this huge Uh, concentration on how do we look at those foundation nurturing years to try and make a difference Um, and we are now implementing the report because the government's been rather slow on this to put it gently Um, one is as young people when I talked to them said we want when I was saying what school con what what do you want in your school contract Um, there's increasing problems about behavior in our society we will move um, extensively to contract based society so what do you want from your school contract given you signed one and none of you know what's in it and then I said and don't cheat but give me the six things you want and I did this in other classes as well in other areas in Manchester for example and all of that that 15 year old group said three things in common one is they wanted to know how to be good parents none of them said better is wonderful resilience to protect the the worst toe rags in our society. Secondly, they said they wanted, if possible, for the schools to teach them how to make lifelong friendships. Again, a huge indictment of the adult world in which they were being raised. And thirdly, they realised not only it was important to get a job, but how to keep a job. So we now looked at the national curriculum, made slightly more difficult because games changed the Mm goalposts, Um, to see where those skills are already taught in the national curriculum it's no point just poor, but overburdening teachers with yet new functions where are the gaps like in brain development why isn't that in, in all science GCSE courses so people can see that they are liberators of their children um, we've asked Cambridge University to undertake three sets of indicators measuring starting school where should children be there around where they should be around two and a half and three and a set of um, birth ready indicators who needs most support in those really crucial stages of life and then we've raised, all this has had to be raised money of course but we're doing an intervention project where we're actually looking at how how best can we work out with limited resources to help those young people who want to be good parents end up being good parents Now, that doesn't mean to say that the work that Camilla doesn't do isn't crucially important. It doesn't mean to say that just because we're emphasizing the economic, social, and emotional gains of the very first stages of life, clearly one needs to intervene as early as possible when things actually go wrong. But, and I end on this, the problem we face is the evidence that kids' company provide for the political debate is so horrendous Uh, it is very difficult in our current social and political language to be able to take on board what people are actually telling us what is actually happening to I think a growing number of uh, young people and I look at my young constituents and while I'm always telling them about behaviour and all the rest of it I do admire them as well In that, I sometimes think, you know, if I had been treated like that, would I have survived? And the truth is that most of us would have survived because that instinct in us is very, very strong for survival. But I don't actually think people should have to fight for survival in the way an increasing number of young people do. So I salute uh, Kids' Company and the incredible work um, that Camilla uh, leads. Um, And I just think, after the next election, the government should be locked up for a week with Camilla.
8: um, (laughs) And
9: and some of you at Kids' Company, uh, until they actually promise they're going to do a lot better.
6: Thank you very much, Frank. And Leon.
9: Thank you very much. Um,
10: uh, I'm Leon first I'm Head of Evidence at the Early Intervention Foundation. Um, and I'm associated with the uh, Centre for Analysis of Social Exclusion. at I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be here, a little surprised. Uh, su- surprised because I, I didn't manage to take up Sandra's invitation to meet her for coffee in advance of the meeting, so I thought this was a small round table
8: uh, yes. seminar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
10: I'm, I'm delighted to find myself in this,
8: uh, uh, in this
10: company. Um, and, and I do want to pay testament to, to the work of, of Kids' Company over a, a long period um, I've, I've, I've come across uh, uh, Camilla a, a number of times through the years uh, in, in this, this huge challenge of, of, as you put it, making the invisible visible um, and, and I mean, the, the work of Kids' Company is remarkable, but also the work of the, advo- the advocacy and making the public debate and, and bringing into the public debate the issues that you raise. the importance of love as a theme in politics is, is a remarkable thing that, that uh, you deserve huge credit for and, and it's tremendously brave. Um, and I, I, I take Corinne's point as well about the kind of neuromania and how do we, how do we achieve visibility for problems that really society collectively doesn't want to uh, face up to. Um, and so I guess you know, we use all the methods that, that we can, um, but we do have to be very careful in drawing on the science that it's done in, in, in rigorous and robust ways. And so it's, it's great to see this report and, and I look forward to to, to reading it in more detail and, and, and talking to Sandra more about it. I should say a couple of words about the Early Intervention Foundation um, and then raise a couple of questions about the challenge for society in a way that, 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 that kids' company makes. Um, so the Early Intervention Foundation has been set up following a, a review by, a couple of reviews by Graham Allen, MP, um, who was asked by the Prime Minister to look at the question of, of how services uh, help children, help young people prevent problems? How does society collectively work with children and families and communities to prevent problems happening rather than always dealing with problems when they're already a long way down the line? That's a, that's a, a difficult thing to do for a number of reasons. What, what, one of the issues is about definition. What does early intervention mean? And I'm very interested in the question of the extent to which the work we're hearing about this morning is, is early intervention as opposed to late intervention. Uh, we, we need both. We also need universal services. And there's a, a part of the challenge that, that, uh, that I, I, I take from this, this work is about the relationship between the different parts of a system of services in a local community. A lot of the difficulties are about the relationships between services, which is why the bridging work that you do is so important. But why is that so difficult? And the work of the Old Intention Foundation is, is more around the kind of bridging between services in, uh, in local communities. We focus particularly on local authorities, but also working with police and crime commissioners, with health and wellbeing boards, with clinical commissioning groups, with local authority children's services. Uh, ultimately hopefully also with schools and welfare agencies with the voluntary sector and others and a lot of the challenge is about creating the right kind of partnerships at local level and that just remains incredibly difficult and it is remarkable how little progress has really been made on that despite very good efforts over the last few years so I'm not surprised that it's still very difficult to do that bridging work there are some great examples around the country uh, the new delivery model in Manchester, for example, where there, or, or, or One Door in Blackpool, there are some really good examples of, of, of attempts to reconfigure services so that they do join up around the family. And, and practitioners are speaking to each other. And so some of that work for children and families is, is better addressed. But we can't ignore the fact, particularly in relation to local authority and state services, talking to some urban councils last week They've already lost a quarter of their budgets. They're about to lose another third, and they are going to be in situations where they are left really only doing the statutory work, what we would call late intervention—the stuff that has to happen because it wasn't possible to prevent it. Mm -hmm. So, where does the preventive stuff happen? Mm -hmm. And and, and that is about leveraging money out of other budgets. So, the health system has got uh, to—is very interested. Public Health England is very engaged in this work of trying to support more preventive work across social policy areas. The police too in some areas. The police recognise that you need a, you need a police officer when early intervention has failed. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the last stop, it shouldn't be the first stop. So that there are ways through some of the budgetary crisis. But, but what Kids' Company does is, is really create a challenge to the whole system. And I just want to, to, to wrap up, just mention three elements of why I think what, what, what is written about in this report is so, so challenging. One is about evaluation, and, and we do live in a world where resources are very tight and there is increased emphasis on the need to demonstrate value and show value, and it's, it's wonderful that, that we, you know, we're, we're looking at evaluations, and there are, there is evaluations of the work here. But you know, the, the point Corin makes about the, the replication, the scalability. Scalability requires some degree of either manualization is the standard way of achieving scalability. You manualize a program, you work out the common elements and you reproduce it. And that runs completely counter to the notions of flexibility and, 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 and autonomy that are central to the way Kids' Company works. And those are really, really important principles. But equally, we can't clone uh, Camilla. So, so how, do, how does what's happening in Kids' Company get taken to scale? I don't have an answer to that question, but Corrine's right to raise it. It's a really important one. Um, But what what I really welcome in this research is the the learning about practice. We talk a lot about programs in in, in kind of Whitehall and in, in, in government. There's a lot of talk about programs, which programs will work. But a lot of what really matters on the ground is what practitioners are doing and the principles of good practice. And there's some really interesting principles in this report that I'd like to explore further. And it'd be very interesting to see, well, how do we work with practitioners to, to, to support learning around how to apply these principles and practice and what are the barriers to doing that second critical challenge is about self-referral when I first met Camilla she emphasized this, this the importance of this issue of self-referral, self-referral which is a huge hugely important principle I think mm-hmm. um, but very very difficult for government because as soon as you have self-referral you've lost your control on budgets um, and, 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 and you know I I don't say that means you can't have self-referral, but we need systems that are able to deal with self-referral. I don't think we have them. So that's another critical challenge. And the third one I've I've, I've, I've really already mentioned, but is the link to the state. As as local authority and other services are uh, are declining in scale, the challenge is to make sure they are shrinking together rather than shrinking apart. Uh, and, and, And what is the role of the voluntary sector in that? Um, it, there's a lot of talk, There used to be a lot of talk about big society. I'm not quite sure where we are with that now. Um, and, and, and what we're seeing with Kids' Company is a, a, a really critical and, and immensely valuable uh, uh, huge body of work to deliver what the big society ought to be about. But how do you, just this question of scale, how do we learn the lessons of that and share that more broadly and achieve real impact? In a world where actually lots of children are still falling through the cracks and aren't getting the love and the care that, the, that this report sets out as a ways of actually making a difference, so a lot still to do.
6: Thank you. Thank you so much to each of you. Um, one of the one of the points that I'd love to be able to draw out and, and open up for discussion is something that Corin spoke of. Um, really in, in relation to the interface between kids company and statutory services and the vast potential, um, I'm sure we'd all agree in that, but yes, we must all acknowledge the challenges. And where you have, um, where you have a fantastic strong model, as, as uh, evidenced again by your research, um, Professor Jof uh which is flexible, um, which enables relationships to develop between key workers <clears throat> and the vulnerable children and young people that they are supporting, um, and a model which provides staff uh, with a sense of um, support um, and there being the accountability. And when you think then of um, statutory services, uh, so for example the Monroe Review um, went um, to great efforts to try to help address a sense of um, frustration uh, over the, the, the solid fixed structure that social workers were having to to work with um, the prescription, the bureaucracy, etc. And while great efforts have been made, um, it seems that there are still challenges there for some social workers. So where you have two very different structures operating and with individuals from those structures doing their best to try to secure positive outcomes for children, the tension that can be created and actually if you've got very therapeutically trained individuals who are trying to help the children and social workers I hear you know aren't therapeutically trained and that can be a sense of frustration again for some of them what do you think can be the best ways um, of of trying to address those challenges I don't know if any one of you would like to respond to that (laughs) Uh,
7: where to start Um, (laughs) that's huge Um, Uh, right so I'll start from where you finished which is social workers aren't therapeutically trained that's sort of not entirely true um, but should they be is another question I mean you know there's an element of training which is all around you know different skills and methods of intervention and, and social workers are trained to know when to Refer ch- children and families on to other people who are specialised in wh- whatever areas. Uh, the, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want this this to uh, divert into an organisational conversation because I think, you know, Leon's right that probably the biggest thing is starting to talk about emotional elements of relationships and relationship-based practice and that's something that social workers are trained in and do very well uh, in in many cases um, I, I think we do you know the Francis report we get care love where's it gone what what how can we or was it ever there how can we get that into practice in a way that is valued how do we value relationships um, again because they've become so proceduralized in statutory services Uh, they've become so formalized through the forms and the computers and so on yes the Monroe review has tried really hard to turn that around change the the way things are organized but as resources deplete there's more and more I think challenges around that accountability I talked about and people if they're going to cut corners cut where they think they're not going to be challenged on that and so it gets even more residual it gets even more (laughs) what I would call you know rear-end led. it's very much more really severe abuse child protection focused and we lose all of that opportunity to do flexible continuous work I social workers would love to do it Mm. they would love to do it they tell me all the time that's what they trained for that's what they wanted to do but they're not allowed to do it because they don't have the time or if you've got a caseload of 70 children and families how can you how can you do that It, it doesn't work like that you become a manager you become a assessor you become someone who just diverts children and families to, to kids company hopefully if they're lucky but very often not because those services aren't available in other areas of the country mm. so it's, it's just a huge huge challenge but I do think there is something about the cultural organization which um, uh, you know kids company has got right and I do think there is something that could transfer and can work with some shared <coughs> Cooperative working, if if we could just, you know, do secondments or stints, some way of transferring that knowledge, I think it it would be really helpful. Thank you. Frank, oh, Professor Djokovic. Please.
5: I just uh, wanted to say a couple of things. One relates to the body of evidence and why uh, people are not listening. And the other relates to the problem of institutional culture. We talked a lot uh, up to now on the consequences of severe adversity. We know that they are very uh, dramatic uh, on developing children. But there is also evidence, and I think it's important to uh, emphasize that, that shows that children respond if the intervention comes in early and if societies are able to put in place structures of support that will take them out of those adverse conditions Uh, to give you an idea in our research in Rio we found that the most important predictor of positive life trajectories was psychosocial support that could come from parents, from families, so the presence of a stable family was a very strong predictor, but also from institutions of care, from charities that would operate as parents by proxy. So there is evidence, that we are going to hear this afternoon about epigenetics, about the potential of neuroplasticity, we can respond. Why don't we? That's what I really would like to address. Uh, we talk about neglected children but are we really prepared to think about them as children I feel that the problem of invisibility and I'm going to suggest this here is not going to go away and politicians are really not going to pay attention in the way they should pay attention to the problem of invisible and neglected children because society thinks about those children as criminals, as not deserving. I know this is a very strong thing to say, but I wanted to say it because that's why I observed in Brazil for all psychologists of my generation in Brazil had to face that. The problem, the drama of invisible, poor, and deprived populations is that society doesn't care. Society doesn't want to see them because to look at them into the face means to recognize something that the vast majority of people is not prepared to recognize. So, for street children, for instance, it's much easier to think of them as little criminals than as children who need support. And I think that one of the most important things we found is that kids' company needs to act as brokers for this population. They are invisible, The kids, if they don't self-refer, they are out of the system, nobody knows about them, nobody knows where they are. And I think this is a real issue that we need to address here. It's an issue of social representation, it's an issue about how societies think and how they conceive of these children and how far are they prepared to take them as integral to what we all are. I think that as long as these representations don't change, it's going to be difficult to engage politicians, to listen to the message, and to listen to what research has been showing for so long. I think that is a problem we need to address. Second issue that I would like to comment on is institutional culture. Of course... it's I. I You know, as we're listening to people in kids' company, I was just thinking, well, how many people would like to work here? Who doesn't like to work with flexibility? You can exercise your agency. You're respected. You can make decisions. People recognize you have a mind. You can make, you can follow your intuition. All these things are being gradually expelled from institutions and from formal systems and this is again I want to throw a bit the discussion at a more general level because this is a problem of our institutional culture and we we'll need to address we're creating formal institutions that are obsessed with procedures regulations and have forgotten the focus and what they actually do this is something that involves a societal debate And uh, as long as these wider questions are not discussed, it's going to be difficult to control at the micro level because these macro issues connect to the micro level. So, you know, a social worker feels disempowered to act because it's dangerous to act nowadays. You know, you can be caught doing something that is going to turn against you. And uh, this is what Camilla and Kids Company have managed to circumvent and to implement. So I think this problem of institutional culture is another issue to discuss. Thank you. Frank.
9: So we get a debate going. Let me disagree with that last comment. Um, you see, I don't, if only the problem was that we regarded children as criminals. gives them an identity which I think they don't have uh, in our society and and I'm struck as a parliamentarian that act upon act upon act that we pass are almost exclusively adult centered
8: Mm.
9: when we debate the divorce reforms nothing to do with children Mm. it's all about the satisfaction the pleasure that adults will get and if it's interrupted how quickly can they get back uh, to their dose of pleasure so I think there's something terrible and fundamental about our culture in the way that adults have cornered it selfishly for their own ends. When Leon was talking about uh, this phrase, which i noted, shrinking together, um, it has a slight way of, of, of um, I think, anaesthetizing what is really going on Leon Because I, I, I don't dare push in Birkenhead Those social workers who have to decide on, um, although it's said it's not limited, it has to be limited to some extent. How do you choose uh, today which child will you rescue and which one will you actually uh, leave at risk? Knowing that if you get it wrong, the whole system is now so wonderfully geared that you're going to be responsible and everybody above you is going to be able to wash their hands and point the finger at you who had to make that decision. I think actually in impossible circumstances. So I, I, I don't really see the end of the shrinking together policy um, in that I'm, I just guess that we're at the point, we may have passed the point already where it's jolly hard to fulfil your statutory responsibilities. Uh, let alone uh, any others that, uh, that you might wish to pass. And it is, though, a puzzle, given how sort of uh, sexually driven our culture is, that what one might sometimes associate with that love is su- such a difficult concept to get into the political mm. debate. That, you know, <laughs> you're obviously <laughs> something wet in the head if you uh, think that, that that's uh, a criteria by which you judge. But on the kids' uh, company model, what we're trying to do in Birkenhead is to find out how in those first few years of life can one intervene on whatever budget you've got, how can you spend that money to the best effect so that when we next get a radical government, they won't say we need, as Leon was saying, yet more reports about what we should actually do.
8: Um,
9: And it won't be because it's the thing to roll out but what we're looking for is what's the DNA in what we're trying to do which could be rolled out which is tough enough to encompass the local circumstances which every project uh, needs to be a success and I think we just need with kids company uh, when we're reforming what will one day be children's departments again this whole seabone revolution that uh, you could have this uh, Gene- um, um social workers. I mean, understanding everything, but not really understanding anything. When it co- when push comes to shove, um, those children departments need to be, in the first instance, modelled around um, Kids companies' uh, DNA. We don't need to invent the wheel again. It's been done for mm. us. Yeah. Um, and I think the values that you have and the structure that you have, and what you were saying about how staff are prized about being given the, the chance to develop their, you know, their intuitions, their sense of fairness, of fun, of love, um, without being crammed into a, a grid which says that's how you actually have to behave. Um, you know... And Iron Bevan once said of uh, Chamberlain that listening to the Prime Minister is like a trip round wars because in those days wars had compartments where everything was put in a little compartment and nothing was priced over sixpence. Um, And life doesn't come in little compartments with nothing priced over sixpence. Um, And I think we've got to somehow get back to uh, uh, not only in elevating and appreciating um, the social work role, but knowing that li- they've got to respond in a way that life doesn't come in six mini boxes, <laughs> and for that you can't have rules.
8: <laughs>
6: Leon, would you like to comment on anything that's been discussed oh, so yeah. far, or? Yeah, okay. I'm keen to, right. yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm keen to now, um, if not, open it up to the floor because then that gives us um, a good 15 minutes, as far as I understand, um, hmm. for some questions. So, sorry, the hand. Um, was it the lady? So the lady in the blue scarf and then the lady in the pink top and then there's a lady up there. You've just walked past her, sorry, in the white. Uh, yeah, the
8: white
6: scarf. Um, Could you please um, say who you are, where you're from, and also who your question
11: is directed to? Um, Carrie Herbert, Red Balloon Learner Centre Group. Um, It's a charity that deals with severely bullied children. What I would like, I'm sorry, to the panel, what I'd like the panel to go back to is what Camilla said in the first 10 minutes of um, her opening speech, and that is the children know what they need. And what I've heard from the panel is yes, but we've got to have social workers trained like this and social workers know what to do. No, Red Balloon is also based on the the belief, the philosophy that children know what they need to learn. They know what they're interested. They know when they need to be counselled. And that's what I heard from Camilla this morning. And I want to just turn the tables and say, how are we going to empower the social workers to say to the parents, what do you need? How are we going to empower the teachers to say to the kids, what do you need to learn in order to get on? We've heard quite clearly that children want love, they want to learn how to be good parents, and they want to make friendships. Why don't we start from there?
6: Anyone in particular like to respond? or Corinne?
7: Uh, right, okay. Uh, I Some time ago... Um, It gets down to this issue also of self-referral. I I wrote a very badly titled piece uh, called Can Filtering Processes Be Rationalized? But actually this was absolutely all about how we could get a system that could respond to what children want um, rather than what the services could deliver. So, how could, and then that I sort of said, well, how do we go a la carte, really? Um, it was a time of McDonaldisation. But it, it's an enduring question because partly it's who decides what those needs are. I mean, you, yes, children can very, very uh, well articulate what they need, um, but it's not always. What they think they need is is not always in their best interests, and there's kind of debates around that. Um, and I, I think that we do have to get a lot better at being able to hear what it is they need because it you know I'm all for consultation and participation and focus groups and all that sort of thing but at the end of the day I think we actually have to find different ways of hearing uh, how children communicate and this is something that kids company is extremely good at and why I piloted our research social media research project with them because it was all about transmitting images of security and uh, felt security and, and those images came through one of them was a street scene at night really dark and underneath the text said I shouldn't be here uh, how do you, how does that where does that go who takes that who hears that how do we configure a, a response to that now Camilla can do that with kids company and that's why we piloted the software with her because we knew they could But if I wanted to get that into a local authority or even another NGO charity organisation, it would require an awful lot, and I'm still struggling with how to do that, because there's not many organisational responses that can hear what children really need. So that's where I would come from on that.
6: Thank you, Karen. Now there was another question. The lady in the pink
2: cardigan. Um, my name is Philippa Beagley PB Education Services um, I've recently worked for Southwark Local Authority in the Specialist um, Education Service um, and uh, we've also sort of worked in partnership with Kids Company um, over the last few years or tried to work in partnership with Kids Company and Kids Company have tried to work in partnership with us and there's, um, I'm very interested in how does partnership actually work um, to avoid the the sharing of services rather than the overlapping of services which is what happens so much and also how does partnership work so that local authorities are also aware of the invisible uh, children that become um, that charities and uh, third sector organizations are aware of and one of our biggest issues was about sharing data so we had data protection uh, policies and kids company had data protection policies and all the time I was trying to say well if we give you a list of our children that we're concerned about will you give you a, us a list of your children that you're concerned about and let's see if actually we're both working with them or not and there was that really a huge issue around that and I am sure that services are overlapping so much and that with this time of limited resources how do we share the services effectively rather than overlapping them and then also where are the invisible children are actually completely missing out. And that's for the whole panel. Leon would you like to respond? Well, so, I, mean, I think respond.
10: that's a, a, a great point and you, uh, you put the issue about overlapping much better than, than I did. And, um, I mean, the issue about data is really interesting. It, it, it amazes me how little we know our population. I think people imagine that the government has data, mm-hmm. national and local government, and maybe some parts of national government do, I don't know. Um, it, people imagine that they've got data on every aspect of the population and know exactly what's going on and they're tapping phone calls and and all the rest of it and you know there is some elements of that but in terms of early year services or early intervention services services for children families and young people it is remarkable how little we know and local authorities in my view know um, about who the, who the people are mm-hmm. and that's you know as, as people move about they, you know you don't always know when people are coming in and out we have a census every ten years and we're now talking about getting rid of the census because it's very expensive and actually, you can get all the data you need out of Expedia and credit card companies and through transactions on the internet. And that's how we're going to track people. I'm extremely worried about that. Um, I recognize the census is really expensive, but it is an objective and rigorous way for society to actually understand who are the people around which we can might maybe better design services that are centered on people. So that's an absolutely fundamental point you make. Uh, people do have legitimate concerns about data and data sharing and you know, do we have the technical, technological capability to share it in ways that it's not lost that causes forms of crime or you know, loss of identity and so on, big concerns about that, concerns about Big Brother and all the rest of it. But from what, what I've heard looking into this, the barriers to data sharing are not constitutional, they're not legislative, there isn't a requirement to change the law, it is about culture and practice and that people don't trust. Yeah. and they don't have faith. So again, it comes back to relationships and, and, and changing culture, but it's a, it's a huge issue, and I think it, it is something on which, if we make progress on understanding who the people are, we might better collectively be able to prioritise and ensure that people are getting what is needed, and, you know, even to know are, are, are we targeting the right people or are people getting what's needed.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Frank, do you want to add something? two
9: um, brief points? I hope. One is um, the project I'm describing in Birkenhead. I think one of the conclusions we will come to is that, in fact, if all the bodies which were spending money on the same things had a common budget, we and we were focused on outcomes, there would be a lot less uh, overlapping. But the second thing, which is again, goodness knows whether it will collapse because it's so ambitious what we're doing in Birkenhead there's 16 public bodies spend money in Birkenhead and we're asking them to produce um, what their budgets
8: uh,
9: and what criteria given they've got huge areas to cover did they decide that was the amount that Birkenhead should have Um, and then thirdly they're spending this money but what's the objective of actually spending it Um, so it's really trying to take us to a getting away from these different compartments Mm. and seeing whether one can slowly um, staggeringly move to a situation whereby we look at all the the public and and voluntary money spent in an area to see whether in fact one could spend that money better we'll never achieve that goal because it's so ambitious Mm. but at least to get people to think about it uh, I think would be really valuable as we make those first steps
6: Thank you and as Lady in the cream scarf, um, just above you. Yeah.
12: Thank you. I'm Juliet Chalk. I'm a parent, um, a campaigner on parenting issues, and also a volunteer with Home Start, which is a charity some people may know, which supports vulnerable families in their own home. By- placing a volunteer with them who visits them. But I wanted to go back to the issue that um, Professor Djokovic raised about, uh, why do we not take action in these cases and why is, you know, why is this scandal allowed? And I'm, I tend to agree with Frank Field and I want to ask the panel their views that it's actually really not so much I think personally because we criminalize um, such children and young people. It's more because there's such a conflict within, between the roles that we want adults to perform. And I wanted to ask the panel, how do they see the interface, for example, with the issues we're discussing today and the government commitment of all governments of all parties to get maximum workforce activation, to push parents back into the workforce as much as possible. There's a big headline on the um, Telegraph just today about mums returning to work because they feel the economic pressures. And I think, for example, there's certainly a link between parents being encouraged to be absent from their communities and the neglect that Frank Field was talking about that you know we see everywhere. I see in my home borough of Greenwich. And, you know, there's a conflict between what we want adults to do and what we feel is more easier. It's easier to go to work than actually deal with your stroppy teenager. And how are we going to actually address those issues? What do the panel think?
8: Frank, would you like to
9: respond? On on one set of data, um, 80% of poor children in Merseyside are in single-parent families. So needing two working parents is clearly now crucial. For most families, if they're not to be poor. Um, and therefore, you can understand why politicians push and press, not just because of the welfare budget, but because um, there's a cultural thing about people are generally happier at work than not being at work. But in that process, um, Sure Start, I think, started off admirably and then was perverted into um, a job creation scheme. How, how, how can we get mums into work? Now, if you are a single mum, you're even more vulnerable um, in time and energy and everything in making the very best job you can with your children. The idea that we should also be saying, <laughs> it would be very really good for you if you took a job, I think mm. illustrates the conflict which you, you actually described. Um, and it's an, it's an indicator of how society devalues good parenting. Mm. But, you know, it's something you can just when I, we were presenting some of our findings to one of the education ministers his um, uh, and the need what the young people have said about what they wanted in schools his comment was that you know anybody who can do algebraic equations would be a good could be a good parent and i said but we had to learn how to do algebraic equations um, before we could actually do them um, and it's that sort of view that somehow this isn't the most serious thing that most people undertake. Um, uh, And if you want to be a foster parent, we go to extraordinary lengths about the training you must undergo. But most people are thrown into parenthood with very little appreciation of just how vital their role is to the the happiness and thereby the life chances of their children. Um, And I just think we, of course, we uh, one doesn't want to encourage a dependency culture Um, amongst employers who push you on wages so you can maximize your tax credits we want to discourage that as well but I do think in this big equations we want to to re-emphasize the incredible role that good parenting has Um, and and in a sense to reward that and to admire it and to salute it rather than thinking you're slightly freaky if that's
8: the thing
9: you
6: want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm just conscious of the sure. fact that there, that there are a number of other hands that have gone up and also conscious of time. I'm probably only likely to be able to take another maximum one or two questions, but there's a gentleman in the Sorry.
13: Hello, Frank. Uh, I'm, I'm Bernie Hollywood, and I'm a business connector, and I work for HRH Prince of Wales for business in the community. And I'm business connecting in North Liverpool, which obviously is a... a a number of wards just over the river from you Um, extreme poverty where children are basically 54% child poverty 29% attainment level Mm -hmm. and I've had the privilege of working with Camilla for for a number well a couple of years now in our association and I'm extremely keen to get a kids company into North Liverpool Um, but unfortunately everybody seems to be working in silos and very protection about whether they're going to be in a job or not so I think really what we need to do from the business point of view is to actually engage with businesses that can actually help Camilla fund the amazing work that she's doing and get that message out to the business community. We're doing phenomenal things in business in the community from the point of view in North Liverpool, for example. We've gone out and actually spread the message of what poverty actually is in the wards that I'm actually working in. And businesses are actually quite open up to actually helping people like Camilla. £700,000 worth of social economic value is being created in North Liverpool in six months by businesses actually understanding the issues that are actually actually happening in our society and Camilla uh, actually came up to Liverpool not so long ago and and started that process of of communication about what's actually happening in our society to businesses and to people that it's it's not a threatening situation of kids company coming in and stamping on your parade and the great work that you're all doing, it's about working in collaboration And not only from a collaboration point of of actually other people coming together in social services, but business coming together, Frank. Mm -hmm. And I would implore you, if you can actually come and talk to business in the community, and I'll get Stephen Howard, the chief executive of BITC, to speak to you to see how we can help make these dreams come true, because we do need kids' company everywhere in the United Kingdom. Thank you. (laughs)
6: Um, I'm going to try and squeeze in one one final um, question which is the lady in the green top. Uh, My name is Monica Threlfall. There's a microphone.
14: My name is Monica Threlfall. I'm a volunteer at kids company. I play with the kids at at, uh, Treehouse Centre and I'm a graduate of of their course. I just wanted to kind of fill in and build on the last two contributions about parents. Um, One of the things we we seem to not quite get round to talking about is that there has been a revolution in the relationships between men and women over the last few decades due to, you know, women striving for equality. And that this means that uh, couples have to learn different types of negotiating skills. One side of the couple is no longer dictating to the other. And that this makes parenting much more difficult and therefore that we should look at the, well, it could, could be just called parenting skills, but parenting skills tend to be too practical. I think it's much more couple relationships skills in the area of um, before couples have children.
6: Okay, thank you. We're going to have to have a, a pretty speedy response to that, I'm afraid, because then we need to draw it to a close. Um, Coram, well, you like
7: yeah, it? I mean, that really was a point that I wanted to make um, because, you know, we've... We The idea that women, when we talk about parenting, we talk about parenting, we don't talk about mothering and fathering, and this is gendered, the whole thing is gendered, and, um, you know, when you look at other countries where perhaps they're a lot more advanced on gender mainstreaming in workplaces, then we start to see very different forms of childcare, very different forms and attitudes to family life, and and organisations that manage to gender mainstream also have very different attitudes. and. And then produce different parenting practices. So, you know, that's a huge area that I don't think we need to get into today. But I, I do think it's uh, an important one, as you point out.
6: Thank you. Um, Now, I know that there's a a light lunch that follows this session. Um, I'm not sure if panellists are able to stay for that, but if they are, perhaps those who didn't have an opportunity to ask questions might be able to. But please can you all join me in thanking each of our panellists.